Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Even if 2020 weren't the year that wore out the term unprecedented, Tuesday's elections would still be among the most significant and challenging ever. This weekend, we want to talk about voting, watching it, doing it, protecting it, and making it count. And later, we'll talk about eating and where you won't be doing it. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Dullimore, and this is At Issue. There's a lot going on as this election cycle comes to a close this week. Thanks to the excitement and turmoil of the presidential race, turnout is already high. And thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, we're seeing, well, unprecedented voting by mail. And because of the political rhetoric, some court actions and some high tensions, we're seeing more of a focus on the process of voting than we have in a while. Well, we would like to make sure you have the facts going on into election day. And if there is one fact you need to know right from the top, it is that all elections are local. Every state, every county, many municipalities run their own. And the officials who do run the elections are dedicated to making sure every vote is counted. So we're going to spend some time with one of those officials, Will County Clerk Lauren Staley Ferry. She was elected to that job in 2018, and she's responsible for maintaining vital records like birth, death, and marriage certificates. She also serves as the clerk of the Will County Board. But perhaps most importantly, she supervises the elections in Will. Lauren Staley Ferry joins me via Zoom conferencing, and thank you very much for doing that. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, first, um, let's get kind of a status report. Now, I should uh, uh, point out that we are recording this on uh, Friday, but tell me how early voting has gone so far. Early voting has been amazing. Um, we have had record numbers as far as people coming out to vote. Um, early voting in person. Will County has 24 early voting locations. The county clerk's office has been open longer than the local clerks and municipalities um, were open for 40 days prior to the election. The local clerks are only open for two weeks, but we have seen record numbers um, of people coming out to, to early vote right now. And uh, uh, full disclosure, Ms. Staley Ferry is my county clerk and my wife and I voted in downtown Joliet. I should say that the health guidelines were very much in evidence and being as observed at the voting place, people were actually paying attention to that, uh, the markings on the floor and everything. Talk about how much preparation you've had to have for the in-person voting and, and frankly for everything. 
Yeah, I mean, as soon as the primary was over in March, um, we knew what we were um, in for as far as, you know, preparation. Um, you know, we didn't know what November was going to look like at the time, but we just figured we needed to start right then um, ordering supplies, hand sanitizer. At that time, it was really hard to, to get those things. Um, so we, you know, we reached out to suppliers and we ordered um, hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes. Each early voting location and polling place has a hand sanitizer station. So we had to contact, you know, vendors and people that we could um, acquire those from as well. Um, we started those preparations, um, you know, right after the primary in March to make sure that we would have everything available for our election judges and for our residents, um, you know, for this election. Um, we should uh, do the, in some ways the public service portion of this interview, but, uh, but it is really important and that is what should voters know if, and we'll talk a little bit about mail-in voting in a, in a minute, but uh, I suspect from this point on, a lot of the action is gonna be directed toward Tuesday. If you're going to vote on Tuesday, what do voters need to know? Do they need to bring anything or should they bring anything? So Illinois is a signature verification state. So you don't need to bring an ID or you don't need to bring anything. Um, so, but we did do a, um, a bring your own pen campaign um, on our website and on social media. We called it BYOP um, just because, you know, it's, we have clean pens, we're disinfecting pens and we're giving them away. But, you know, when you have your own pen, you can, you know, you keep it with you and you take it with you when you leave. Um, so we did do that. But otherwise, you know, all of our voting locations, our judges have been amazing. They've really been good about, you know, keeping everybody, you know, the six feet apart and social distancing and wiping down all of the surfaces, wearing masks. We really haven't seen many issues at all in Will County. Everybody has been wonderful and very respectful. So if you're going to go to an early voting location um, before Tuesday, we are seeing some, some long lines and some wait times. So um, it looks like we're going to have some nice, nice weather the next couple of days. So you, maybe you won't have to bundle up too much, but um, we are seeing some wait times, you know, 25 minutes, an hour. Some locations have, have even had two hour waits, um, but you, you don't need to bring an ID. So, you know, barring the weather and, you know, we've been moving through the lines very quickly. Yeah, and uh, I uh, also went out to an early voting location in DuPage County and I talked to people who had waited three hours at the beginning and the, I, I guess the amazing thing is that people waited three hours and, and they were determined to, to vote. Um, what are you expecting election day to be like, Tuesday? You know, we keep, we keep getting that question and we talk about it, you know, internally here because we've just seen such high numbers already. Um, you know, here in Will County, we've already seen about 84,000 people vote in person early. And vote by mail, um, we've already seen, um, we've already, we already have about 172,000. Um, I mean, I'm sorry about that. We've, we've already had about 125,000 vote by mail ballots requested and about um, 87,000 of those returned already. So there's a really high number of people that have already voted in Will County. Um, there's still, obviously, you know, we've got 463,000 registered voters, right? So there's still many, many more people to come out and vote. Um, we, we do think it's going to be busy on election day. I mean, I think that people are just engaged this election. They want to go and make sure that their voice is heard. Um, so we do think election day is going to be a busy day. Now, I would, I would guess by this time, people should have already checked to know whether they're registered 
and where their polling places are. Um, there may be some people who wait till the last minute to check on those things, but what should they do? So um, our website is a really great resource. Um, we updated it back in September. So we have a brand new website. It's thewillcountyclerk.com. Um, and it has all of your election information on there. You can actually um, type in your address and find your polling place. There's a sample ballot for your location. So the candidates that you have on your, you know, on your ballot will be there. Um, all of that's available to you on the website. We also did mail out a voter information guide to every registered voter's household, um, which gives you your polling place information, early voting locations. We do have the drop boxes this election. So there's eight drop boxes around the county. Um, if you're still holding on to that vote by mail ballot, which we hope people aren't, and we get them back in as soon as possible, um, but we do have the drop boxes available as well. So all of that information, um, our website, we have a robust social media platform as well. So um, we try to get the word out as much as we can. And, uh, and I do want to talk uh, about the mail-in voting. Uh, um, first off, we're airing this on Sunday. And as you point out, if people haven't mailed their, in their ballots yet, um, there are still alternatives. Let's talk about what those are. Sure, yeah. So all along we've been encouraging people just because we knew the volume was going to be so high for vote by mail, um, to, you know, to make sure that they, you know, once they get that ballot, please fill it out and return it back to us as soon as possible, you know, either via mail. And if you're uncomfortable, you know, and you're worried about the, the U.S. Postal Service, um, we do have eight drop boxes throughout the county this year. So, um, they are all throughout the county, um, you know, starting up in, in Naperville and then throughout, you know, down south and east. Um, and so they are available all the way up until Monday evening at most locations. They won't be open on Tuesday. We want everybody to know that. The drop boxes will close on Monday evening. So we want everybody to, if they want to use the drop boxes, um, please do, but uh, to get there before Monday evening. Your vote by mail ballot has to be postmarked by November 3rd. So if you still want to use the mail, that's great. It just has to be postmarked by election day. Which means that at the, arguably you'd have to get to the ballot uh, to the post office, to a post office. Probably you don't want to necessarily leave it in your mailbox, uh, the local mailbox. Um, on by Tuesday afternoon. That's or, correct. Yeah, yeah, drop it off at the post office if you're waiting that that long. Now, and and first off, one note for people who are listening who aren't in Will County, everything that uh, that the Will County clerk just said about the kind of resources that you can find are pretty much repeated throughout the metropolitan area. The county sites, the city sites that have them all have those kinds of things and there are drop boxes in most of the uh, most of the other counties. Uh, one other thing, um, some states do not allow ballots to be received after November uh, 3rd to be counted. Illinois, as you point out, is not one of them. The ballots can come in for several days afterwards. Wisconsin is one of those states. Your ballot has to have been received by the authorities and uh, there was a, just a court decision on that. But let's talk a little bit for people who are, have been worried about early voting, have been worried about mail voting, especially with the, the president saying mail voting is just the most corrupt thing you could have. Talk to me a little bit about ballot integrity, ballot security, and how we make sure those votes really do get where they're going and get counted. 
Yeah, so that's been, um, you know, obviously that is a hot topic, like you've said. Um, there's so much information out there and, and misinformation out there too. That's why we, you know, we really like to make sure that our that our processes are very transparent. Um, you know, we, we try to explain as much as we can. So, you know, the vote by mail, um, that's, you know, the post office, we do have ballot tracking on our website. So I think that's something that's really helpful for people if they decide to use the Dropbox or, you know, put it in the mail. They're able to see when their ballot was mailed out to them, when we received it back, right on our website, you can track your ballot. Um, so they know that we received it and it's been counted. Um, I think that's you know, really important for people to be able to see that themselves, you know, that they know that they dropped it or they mailed it and they can check online and they can see that it was counted. Um, and then, you know, as far as, you know, everything else, there's, there's, our systems only allow voters to vote one time. You know, once you cast that ballot, either, you know, either by, by mail and we process that in our system, there is something in our system that shows that that person, we've received their ballot and it's been counted. If you vote in person, it's the same thing. You know, we, we do have that capability. So one vote for one person, that's all our system will allow here in Will County. Um, I want to ask you, what has been your biggest challenge this year? I mean, what's, what's, what's the thing that, that keeps you up <laughs> at night or wakes you up early in the morning? <laughs> I, I think that changes from day to day and week to week. I mean, this has been just such a, you know, such a roller coaster. Um, you know, I think in the beginning it was vote by mail and we're just worrying about the volume because we've never seen this kind of volume in Will County before. In 2016, the highest amount, we sent out about 36,000 vote by mail ballots in 2016. And Right now, we've we've sent out over 125,000 vote by mail ballots. So I mean, the numbers are are just completely different. Now, do you run the uh, the ballots that you've received uh, through the, the the machines ahead of, of the election? You don't count count count, but but you process those ballots ahead of time. We sure do. We've actually had to add, um, we call those central counts. So we've actually had to add those to the calendar because of the volume. But we are able to, we have election judges come in and we open those, we open those ballots and we feed them into the tabulators. And then of course, like you said, no results are, are reported until after the polls close at seven o'clock on election day. But it also means that at least as far as the mail-in ballots, the ones that you have received, we will have those totals on election night, unlike some other places that don't allow them to even be opened until election day. And I think we're going to see, and that'll be one of the running stories on election night, that we will have uh, some places that won't have real solid totals uh, <laughs> until maybe a day or two later. Right. Yeah, I know Indiana is one of those states that don't allow to that don't allow counting until election day. We're we're very lucky that we're able to count, you know, we're able to, you know, insert those into the tabulators ahead of time. Our reporting on election night just really quick, um, you know, once the polls close, we are able to um, our reporting is vote by mail and early voting goes in first. So those results you will see first. And then as the judges come back with the precinct, then you start seeing each precinct reporting. So we always, um, because we can, we can do that in advance, early voting and vote by mail results will we'll hit the website first and then all the precincts reporting after. And last question I wanna ask is, because uh, I asked you what your biggest challenge was, what's been your biggest joy <laughs> in this year? I cannot even explain. My staff has been just amazing. I mean, we have had to make do with you know, I have a staff of 31. We've had to bring in, you know, 
temporary workers and election judges. And my staff has been working nonstop since, you know, the primary, you know, procuring supplies and preparing, you know, preparing ballots, my vote by mail team, my voter registration team, my election judge coordinator, the, the people that are working the early voting right now at the front desk. I mean, they are an absolute joy every single day, never complaining. We're here seven days a week right now. I mean, I am just, I am so lucky to have such a hardworking staff. Um, and honestly, the residents too, it's, I, I always go out and greet people and talk to them. And I mean, it's, it's really just been fascinating, this whole experience, no matter how challenging it's been, it's, it's, um, I'm, I feel very lucky to be, to be in this position. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. That was Will County Clerk Lauren Staley Ferry. Now we're going to turn from elections to eating, or maybe not eating, if you were planning to dine indoors at a Chicago area restaurant anytime soon. With cases of COVID-19 on the rise across Illinois, Governor Pritzker says the new infection rates and hospitalizations are high enough to trigger what he calls mitigations, restrictions basically. And in this case, in the affected counties, and it's a lot of them, including Chicago and the Collar counties, indoor dining will be prohibited. This is the second such shutdown this year, and for people who own and work in restaurants, most say it's devastating. Well, we want to dig a bit deeper, and joining me via Zoom is Sam Toya, who is no stranger to this program. He's the president of the Illinois Restaurant Association. He is a former restaurateur himself. His group is taking legal action in the face of the new prohibitions. Sam Toya, thanks for uh, talking with me on what I know has been a tumultuous week. <laughs> it has been. Thanks for having me. Well, you held a news conference to announce the latest actions, but before we get to that, you also had some really sobering numbers about how the coronavirus pandemic and the resultant closures have affected the restaurant industry. Uh, give me a picture of what your industry is facing. Absolutely. So at the beginning of the year, we started out with over 594,000 people working in the restaurant food service industry here in the state of Illinois. We were the largest, and I say that past tense, we were the largest private sector employer with over 25,000 eating and drinking establishments across the state. The National Restaurant Association predicts that conservatively, 20% of those restaurants will not reopen. That's 5,000 restaurants. But that was before the second uh, mitigation we have going on right now where they're you know, as, as, of, as of Monday, 90% of the restaurants in the state of Illinois will not be able to do indoor dining. We're, you know, we're in Chicago, we're in Illinois, uh, we're moving into deep fall here, getting close to uh, winter. We've seen snowflakes already. So outdoor dining is not really going to exist like it did when we were in June and July and August. And we had a beautiful summer. So restaurants were able to try to capture about 50% of their sales. But by closing down indoor dining again, uh, Greg, they're going to be down 80% in sales. I mean, delivery, curbside pickup, uh, you know, just doesn't cut it for restaurants. So that's why by going completely, completely uh, into no indoor dining is going to be devastating to the industry. At the peak of, uh, of the pandemic, there was over 300,000 people in the hospitality industry that was on unemployment or furlough. There's still over 120,000 people that are on unemployment. And I'm really scared that um, it, by losing just 20% of restaurants, and I think it could be higher than that, we could lose 120,000 jobs here in the state of Illinois from the hospitality industry. 
Well, and that's the, that's a, a real um, point to be made here because we are talking about uh, thousands and thousands of people who aren't going to be working, and it's kind of all of a sudden unexpectedly in some ways. Very, very unexpectedly. You know, I mean, it's the government that's shutting us down. I get it. <clears throat> all restaurant owners, operators always want to hear what the doctors and scientists have to say. The health and safety of our team members and guests is always number one. But as the science surrounding COVID-19 has evolved, so much, so must the metrics for mitigation. You know, uh, we want to look at the ICU beds in the hospitals. Are they, you know, totally full? Are they getting close to being totally full? Which they're not. Uh, you know, obviously they were more full in April and uh, early May. So again, you know, the science surrounding COVID-19 has evolved so much, so much the metrics for mitigation. Well, let's talk about the action that uh, the association is taking. It's not exactly that you're launching your own lawsuit, but you're basically uh, joining some other suits, right? Yeah. So today we announced the first steps in legal actions we are taking to help restaurants survive. We were, you know, so we are filling an amicus brief, provides the IRA with the flexibility to provide and advance our industry's interest and positions everywhere necessary. We other are, if, you know, if we did one suit, we'd be, you know, in one court, and then we must focus on the fate, you know, we must focus on the fate of the 25,000 restaurants in all 102 counties throughout the state. That's why we want to do amicus brief and file them in all the uh, counties where, uh, where restaurant owners, our operators are filing suit. Uh, now, Governor Pritzker, and we're talking a little bit about the metrics here, but Governor Pritzker says the numbers that he's seeing, the numbers he's looking at, suggest that after you look at private gatherings, which are, you know, I think we'd all agree, uh, most private gatherings are maskless and the biggest source, and they, they, they are the biggest source of infections. But right after that, he says restaurants and bars are number two. Um, what's, you, what's your industry seeing? Okay, according to the data uh, source from the Documenting COVID-19 Project at the Brown Institute for Media Innovation, which represents approximately 10% of the cases through September 2020, restaurants account for only 1% of the cases statewide. That's what we're seeing. Hmm. Now, I want to ask a question that's probably a touchy one for you because you probably have members in both, uh, both realms, but should restaurants and bars be classed differently? Uh, because I mean, a lot of the problems that we have seen have been in bars where people are standing, they're drinking and not thinking about social distancing. Should that be a different class? Well, here's the thing. We've always said we always care about the health and safety of all our team members and guests. Uh, again, we're very pragmatic about this. So we think that all guests should wear a mask. All team members should wear a mask. Um, all guests should be in a, you know, uh, be, be you know, if they're dining, they should be in a seat. So all guests should be in a seat at a table. There should be nobody at the bars. You know what I mean? There should be nobody at the bars. And if there are people at the bars, you would have barricades between, you know, sh you know shields uh, between like two seats and then shields on each side of them. Uh, but no one should be standing around a bar restaurant. All diners should be in seats. They should be wearing their mask. When the wait person comes up to the table, uh, they place their order. Wait person walks away. They can take their mask off and drink. Wait person comes back. They put their mask on, serve the food. Wait person walks away. They take their mask off and eat. 
So again, we get this covered faces, keep open places, social distancing, sanitizers throughout the whole restaurant. It's always about the safety and health of both the team members and the guest. So what about the uh, places that don't observe the guidelines? Because I'll be honest, while restaurants I've seen, and we'll talk about them in a minute, um, have, have been doing a lot of things. I haven't seen many bars where you've got the plexiglass between people. What do you say to people who say, yeah, but if I go into a bar, they're not doing any of that? Again, 99% of restaurants are doing everything right out here. We're a highly regulated industry. We're, we're visited multi-times throughout the year by the health department, the building department. We know how to do this right. Uh, we're one of the most highly regulated industries out here besides hospitals. And I think that all businesses uh, uh, should be shut down that are not doing it right. We do not support back actors. So if, they're, if, if their team members and their guests are not wearing a mask and they're not socially distancing, we do not back bad actors. And that's for all businesses. You know, that's the other thing, Craig, we don't understand. Why is it our industry the one that is um, the only business that is affected in the governor's most recent announcement, especially given our industry safety standards? Yeah, and let's talk about that because some restaurant owners especially have been bending over backwards. Most of them have been doing the very basics, the, the, the masks, the hand washing, and you and I talked about this a couple of months ago about uh, the measures. But I mean, there are some who are going beyond that with air purifiers. Some are putting in new ventilation systems. That's right. Very costly steps. Uh, what is and what has that meant for the industry and what is the frustration here? Here's again, I'm going to say this again. 99% of restaurant operators have done everything that has been asked of them to this point from sanitizing to distancing, testing regularly, wearing masks, requiring reservations, taking contact information, improved air filter filtration systems, and they spend you know, tens, twenties of thousands of dollars doing that, installed dividers between spaces and much more. Again, we understand how to do this right. We're a highly regulated industry and we're always out here uh, concerned about the, uh, the levels of health and safety of both our team members and guests. What are you hoping from when you and other members of the industry do meet with Governor uh, Pritzker in the coming week? You know, again, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, you know, we've, we've seen that, you know, the COVID-19, uh, COVID you know, doctors are able to treat this better. Uh, so we think that the metrics for mitigation needs to change a, a bit too. Again, you know, I got to give the governor and his team credit. You know, when we opened up again, they said social distancing between tables. That was probably anywhere from 50 to 55% of uh, total occupancy per restaurant. You know, so we don't know why we go from like 50, 55% occupancy all the way to zero. Maybe we could go to 25% occupancy. Um, you know, we saw we did that in the city of Chicago for a while and the COVID numbers went down. Went down. So I'd like to look at that as we move forward. And again, I, I want your listeners to understand too, that 25% capacity is still not going to help really restaurants that much. The restaurant industry is all about cash flow. So with 25% capacity, um, maybe some delivery, some curbside pickup, you know, you have enough cash flow to come in to pay the rent, to pay some, you know, labor costs. But 86% of the restaurants out here are not going to make a profit for 2020. Again, 86% of the restaurants are not making a profit for 2020. 
That's why we need the federal government to step up with, a, uh, with the uh, Restaurant Act. It was passed within the HEROES Act. Within the Restaurant Act, that is a bill for $120 billion to independent restaurants. So you have to be an independent restaurant owner, uh, 20 restaurants or less, and you can apply for grants. Now, the federal government has done this before, most recently for the airlines. They've done it in the past for the auto industry, for the banking industry. So we don't understand why there's the hang up between the United States House, the United States Senate, the president, not to get the Restaurant Act bill passed, another stimulus bill passed, because we are the largest private sector employer here in the state of Illinois, and we are the second largest private sector employer throughout the country. So we really need Washington, D.C. to get to the table and figure this out, because even if we get to 25% capacity, restaurants out here are hemorrhaging. So we need to all work together and the municipality level, the state level, and the federal level, because we have to save the restaurant industry, because restaurants are the soul of every neighborhood here in the city of Chicago, throughout the state of Illinois, and throughout the country. Is it feasible to think of maybe some kind of standard where this could be approved on a state, I mean, on a case-by-case basis? Where, you you know, know, do restaurants that go the extra mile get a dispensation? You know, again, you know, Craig, uh, nothing is off the table. Nothing is off the table. So, you know, we want to communicate with the governor and his team and everything's on the table. We're just trying to save the restaurant industry here in the state of Illinois. And like I said, this is a problem throughout the country for all one million restaurants throughout the United States. Sam Toya, thank you. Sam Toya is president of the Illinois Restaurant Association. I thank him for spending time with us and also thanks to Will County Clerk Lawrence Staley Ferry as well. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the page. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another uh, edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9. FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.